Hi, remember us? This is Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. We're back. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Gokey. And today we're talking about ways to learn. So we did have a short break. We apologize for that, but uh, we're hopefully back no apologies. on schedule now. No apologies. Uh, we're back. We're back on schedule now. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about ways to learn. Basically, ways that you can learn by yourself. Ways that you can learn in a group setting, um, in maybe a more formal school setting. Just kind of all the different. We're going to kind of survey all the different ways that you could go about learning tech, right? Learning the program. Um, so the the uh, the first thing I will cover as a group is, are ways that you could learn by yourself, right? So maybe you just don't have the time or the money or the energy or, or whatever is just not going to fit into your into your life schedule uh, to go to a more formal school setting. Um, there, don't don't fret. There are all kinds of ways that you can actually do this, uh, very either very cheaply or even free. Um, there's tons and tons of resources online and in book form, video form that you can consume um, to to learn this stuff. Yeah, let's let's start with one of those and we'll go with the the oldest, the most venerable form of, of all those things. The the dead tree. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so books, right? What kind of books could you use to to learn um, code? It does maybe seem a little strange to use a paper book to learn something that is digital, um, but uh, there are many many really great ones out there. There's probably also lots of ones that are not that great. So we'll, we'll highlight a few that we really enjoy. Um, what would you say, Brian, is maybe your favorite tome for learning uh, front-end JavaScript, HTML, CSS, stuff like that? That's a, a great question. And part of the reason it's a great question is that I think for the specific technologies that you're talking about, books are not such a good way to go. Um, in Front end in particular, in JavaScript, I think is the worst offender of, of any technology in software development right now. Things are changing so rapidly that paper books just get out of date by the time someone has finished writing chapter 10. You have to go back and restart chapter one because something has, has evolved. Um, so paper for those kind of things, uh, I think, are not worth it anymore. But there are a lot of older things that have stood the test of time and um, have the kind of cross-disciplinary, cross-language kind of lessons that I think are still valuable. Um, stuff I think like, that's a good thing to think about, too, is like there is the idea of learning the specific skills that you need to maybe accomplish front-end or iOS or Android or, or back-end or whatever. Um, or a and very there's particular also goal in front of you, right? Like authentication right. with yeah. this provider and this technology. And then there's this whole other layer of things that is still very technical in nature, but mm -hmm. is much more generalized and applicable to kind of all of those different things, right? Learning how to program and how to think like an engineer and stuff like that. Um, and the underpinnings of data structures and stuff, those things that kind of do, like you said, kind of cross over the different disciplines and different languages. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of people who are self-learning maybe don't remember to look at, right? Is are the, these these underlying um, kind of the the scaffolding that you need to to understand the the story behind what you're learning, rather than just you know how do I authenticate with JavaScript, right? Um, so, and those, like you said, I think those are, those lessons are, were hard won, but are kind of established now. And there's not going to be a ton of turnover in those. Yeah. There's an interesting idea, not software specific, uh, originally called Lindy's law after a delicatessen in New York, where a bunch of 
comics had just been gathering forever. And the idea is that basically if something has been around forever, it's going to continue to be around forever. And that the, the life expectancy that something has remaining is going to be similar to how long it's been there to begin with. So if a book has been in print for 30 years, probably it'll be around for another 30 years. If a book is a bestseller this year, maybe by 2021, it's going to be gone. Yeah, right. And so if you want to, to have the timeless lessons, it is worth it to go back and look at things from the, you know, the 90s, the 80s and find your, your timeless stuff back there. Do you have any books that you that you love that are kind of those sort of, you know, maybe the, the backstory behind how programming works or some, some foundational ideas? Sure. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is The Pragmatic Programmer. Uh, I think the, the first book by the guys who came up with the, the Pragprog Studio, which is now a, a fairly large bookseller and, and video producer and so on. And that, I, I think, does date back to the 90s. All the examples are in Java, so I, I don't get much out of the code because I still don't know <laughs> what's done in Java. But stuff that they talk about in terms of version control and text editors and organizing your workspace and those kind of things, those are as important as they ever were. I think probably also like the Kernig and Ritchie C book is, is, is kind of, at this point, a, a programmer's Bible, basically. Uh, so for those who don't know, Carnegie and Ritchie were the two guys that invented the C language. Um, and they wrote kind of the canonical book on how to program in C. And it is frequently used as a textbook in, in colleges when you're running C. Um, but even if you're not going to use C as a language, it's good to go back and understand kind of those foundations. Because there's lots of really good foundational things in there about how data structures work and how computers think about the code that you provide it and, and how it interprets it and how it, how it runs it. So um, even if I would say there's value in looking at some things that maybe even you're not going to probably ever use it necessarily directly, um, but it's still useful to, to have those underpinnings and understand where we all came from with, with programming. And in exactly that vein, I'd nominate the structure and interpretation of computer programs which is, um, I think that was MIT's longtime intro to programming course and built around the language of Lisp. So a, a language that I don't hear of in production environments that much anymore, but very, very influential. Uh, you get a lot of practice um, holding down shift and nine and zero because parentheses, as far as the eye can see, it's an unusual word. And quite kooky as a language, I think. <laughs> I've, I've always found Lisp to be very a very opinionated language. <laughs> it yes. has a very specific point of view. Yes, and I think uh, useful probably as a second language because what being exposed to it will do is it will teach you things about your first language that you kind of didn't know were there. You know, assumptions that whether your first language was C or PHP or Ruby or JavaScript or several others, all of those kind of work the same way in a way that Lisp does not. All right. Um, and then, of course, there's there are books that are specific to your field, whatever you're studying, whether it be iOS or Android or, or front-end or back-end. Um, I do think that, that Brian's advice about, like, generally speaking, getting, book, getting actual paper books in those fields of limited value, a certain limited time value for sure, because they they tend to they tend to become obsolete pretty quickly. Um, on iOS, I can tell you as an iOS developer that um, at least once a year you're going to have a very major change to things because the next version of iOS will come out. 
So that's that's a limiting factor. And really, if we're talking about Swift, which is the primary language that we use to to build iOS apps, that changes even more frequently than that. So basically, take it with a grain of salt if you're going to get a, a book. I would actually encourage people to more often buy eBooks, basically buy the same thing but in digital form, because a lot of different companies who provide eBooks will usually give you at least some amount of updates for free, um, and in some cases will give you pretty much unlimited updates. RayWenderluck.com is a very popular iOS tutorial site. They have turned a lot of their tutorials into books, which are excellent. And their eBooks are, for the most part, updated indefinitely for free once you buy them. So you pay $50 for an eBook, which is a lot, but it's a very, you know, very good uh, detailed book. And then for the foreseeable future, if they change it, you just get that update for free. You just put it, you know, pull it down and replace the, the file you have. And now you have the latest stuff. So not only is that better for the environment, but also it's it's going to be more um, relevant as you use it. The pragmatic programmers do that a lot. I, it might be for a lot of books that the um, the free versions are limited to uh, minor upgrades, you know, point upgrades, like from 1.1 to 1.2. And um, even so, you'll get a significant discount once the new major upgrade from a 1.0 to a 2.0 comes out. And a lot of times they'll even, uh, well, because they want your business, they'll send you the reminder of, hey, we have the new major upgrade of that thing that you bought, uh, which can let you know that here is all the information around that technology all nicely collected into one package. Yeah, the really great thing about books, and whether they be digital or, or in print, is that um, they tend to be very complete uh, in the sense that you're not just going to learn a very tiny little narrow slice of something you are probably going to... I mean, there are books that cover one little topic and it's a whole book's worth because it's just very complicated. But in general, if we're talking about you know iOS or Ruby or, or front-end, they're going to have a progression in the book where they go through, they build you up from, from, from a, a small thing to a bigger thing um, and, you, and you're going to get a, uh, a more complete look at that technology. Um, so especially if you're starting out and you don't know a lot about the thing you're trying to learn, I would. I am a big advocate of this kind of learning. It's just, like we said, getting it in physical book form, it's just going to be of limited value to you because fairly quickly it's going to become anywhere from slightly obsolete to completely obsolete. Yeah, sometimes if you get stuff from even just a couple of years ago, it becomes unusable or even, even worse, detrimental. Like you can start introducing bugs and problems into what you're writing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, Swift as a language is, is something that's been evolving very rapidly. Um, and for it's, it's stable or more stable now, but for a while it was the case that you could look up a code, look up code that you wrote six months ago. And not only is it, you know, is it out of date, but it's literally, it won't compile, it won't run. So if that was, if that was code that was written in a book that you were trying to copy into your editor and, and, and see if you get it to work, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't compile. So that, that is, that is a, a danger of using, you know, at, fairly out of date resources is that, uh, like you said, they can, they can actually lead you not only nowhere, but they can lead you down the wrong path. And that's definitely not what you want. How about any uh, code adjacent kind of books, stuff that you use maybe for design purposes? Um, let's see. I don't really have, so on that, I don't really have any books that I use for design just because again, design trends tend to change reasonably rapidly at least on mobile um so i it's the same kind of problem <laughs> that uh if you're looking for for trends on how to do things 
um, and what the prevailing opinion is on you know mobile design. Websites are tend to be better for that because they can obviously much more easily update themselves. Um, but there uh, again, there's there's trends and even evolving best practices, but there are also, I think, some fundamentals that are just have always been true and will always be true. Right. Yeah. Um, I think actually the, the, I forget what it's called, but it's like, it's the HTML and CSS book, the one that's very colorful. And I, I think it might actually just be called HTML and CSS, but um, it's uh, it, it's got a lot of really good stuff in there about um, color theory and, and layout and stuff that while it, while it is, it is meant for web design, um, it, it, it is certainly totally applicable to these, these ideas are universal. So I really do like that book. It's also, it's, I like it because it's, it is very, a very colorful, very glossy. I'm talking about a physical book, um, book. And so it's presented really well. The data is presented very well. Um, and they, and they give you tons and tons of examples. Um, cause nothing's worse than reading about design in text. <laughs> Because you can only get so much out of that, right? Like, we're, design is fundamentally a visual thing, so so having lots and lots of examples is really good. I will. I don't. I don't remember the exact name of the book, but I will dig it up and we will put it in the show notes. Um, we'll try and make sure we get all these all these into the um, the show notes, so you can you don't have to search around for them. But uh, that's a really good one. I've got another one. Don't make me think. A classic for web web uh, user interface and user uh, just usability, making the designs that work well for people. There are a couple books by an author named Robin Williams, not that Robin Williams, but that's how I remember the, the books, who came from a graphic design background and then started working on the web. Um, her stuff is good. Um, yeah, so as far as, if we're talking about design on iOS specifically, another really good resource is the HIG, the Human Interface Guideline. So it's basically a book. It's a digital thing, but it's basically a book that Apple has had around for, I don't know, probably at least a decade or two, and they've been updating it as they go. And it's basically the official documentation and guidelines around how you're supposed to build um, iOS applications and, and also Matt, they have one, I'm pretty sure they have one for Mac as well. Um, so it's kind of Apple's, it's Apple's book. It's Apple's design book on these are the, these are the optimal ways we would like you to design your mobile experiences so that they fit within the iOS ecosystem. Um, and they, and they feel like a, like a, a native first party app, right? We, we want it to feel like it came from Apple, even though it didn't, because that provides consistency on the platform and that makes it, makes apps in general easier to use because they all kind of follow the same, the same guidelines. Um, so while it is, it's a thing from Apple. It's still a really useful and very influential um, design document that is used, you know, by all iOS developers to just to make sure that you are ideally, you know, you want you want your app to be used by a lot of people, and you want them to find it easy to use. So, so even if you don't adopt everything, kind of knowing what those things look like and trying to follow them in general is a good idea. Is this the document that goes through everything from the the text on a button ought to be so big and if you have a back button on a screen it ought to go in this place and not that place yeah yeah they apple is very opinionated about those things and they have a very specific set of rules that they want you to follow obviously if you do not follow them it doesn't mean you're going to get rejected there's tons of apps that don't follow the heck at all and they still get in there and there is there is something to be said for being innovative right for finding new ways new patterns to follow um 
to to accomplish the same goal because that sets you apart, makes you interesting, and makes your app more popular. Um, but you know these rules are in here for a reason because Apple did a ton of research and has and has a ton of experience at building you know experience, app experiences, um, and these are kind of the general best practices for if you follow these, your app will be more usable. So you know while it is one company's opinion, it's it's an, an informed opinion at least. So um, I don't follow it all the time, but uh, it's it's something to just it's good something to be aware of, right? If nothing else, just know that it exists and, and kind of know the general ideas that are presented there. Okay, so that's a discussion of books in both paper and ebook form. I don't know that we've mentioned too many um, favorites in the ebook category. That's probably going to be technology specific, and I kind of feel like the the biggest ones are going to be well-known in each community. I mean, I can say active or agile web development with Rails and uh, for, geez, for JavaScript, I don't know that I can name an ebook. I don't know if you have any favorites in iOS for ebooks or not. Yeah, I mean, the pra- the Prague Prog group of books is great, right? That that whole section of that, that publisher, basically, they make good stuff. Um, and it just depends on whether they make a book in your genre, whether, whether it's useful for you. Um, RayWenderlich.com is a, uh, a tutorial site for iOS and Android, um, and Mac as well a little bit. Um, and they have, I think at this point, like 2000 tutorials on their site, which is great. Um, and they've turned a lot of those tutorials into kind of uh, books, right? Which have a collection of, of different things that kind of teach something, right? So, you want to be an iOS developer. Here's a series, a couple different books you can buy that kind of roll up all of the things you need to get there. Um, or let's say you really want to learn about core data. They have a whole book that's all full of tutorials on how to understand core data at a deeper level. And, and they have one on animation. They have one on uh, Vapor, which is a, a back-end web framework that you can use with Swift to build Swift backends. Um, so it's not iOS, but it's kind of, you know, you're leveraging your skills that you already have into this new genre of programming, right? Backend web. Um, so they're, they're great. And their, their books are actually, they're written by the same people that wrote the tutorial. So if you like that presentation style, you will also like the, the books. So I, I'm a big fan of theirs, um, in part because they also, full disclosure, they've sent a couple of free books to the meetup that I run <laughs> to give away as, as giveaways. But anyway, they're 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 a great organization and they make really great stuff and and I really like the way they present information. That's something that I think you do need to whether it's tutorials or it's books or whatever you're talking about. You want to find uh, don't just take our advice and just use what we tell you to use. Find you know look at what we've what we've offered or what we've what we've um, recommended, and then see if that style works for you because that's something that's that's really important is is people will present information in different ways and different styles. And if it doesn't work for you, if it doesn't, you don't vibe with that thing, then it's, it's, you're not going to be able to retain it as well. For example, I'm not a huge, we'll probably talk about it at at some point, but I'm not a big video fan because for whatever reason, I just don't retain the information when I'm learning something. If it's being presented to me in a video, I like short videos that provide examples because I am visual in that sense when I'm learning, but like an hour long, here's a whole full blown tutorial presented in video form. It, I don't know why, but it just, it doesn't stick for me. I need to be able to read that thing. So for me, it's written, written stuff, whether it's, you know, online tutorials or books, um, as kind of my, my preferred way of learning. So you as a learner need to just figure out what is the way that I, that works best and then use that thing. Yeah, I think I'm kind of the same way. I've experimented with 
uh, every medium I can find out there. And I think the written word sticks with me the best. When I watch videos, I, I always turn on the subtitles if they're there. Uh, it, it's in English, but I still want to have words to latch onto so my attention doesn't go wandering off into the yard watching the squirrels. And, and that does help. Um, also, uh, for video especially, and, and um, podcasts too, uh, the speed control is important. <laughs> even, even if I'm doing something for learning purposes, 1.0 is just not good. <laughs> yeah. So I think the bottom line is everybody does this differently, and right, you just need to figure out what works best for you and then lean into that thing, right? So if you're like, oh, I'm all about video, then find video resources. If I'm all about books, then find hopefully digital versions of those books just because you'll get more bang for your buck out of that. Um, and, uh, and you'll be able to kind of hang on to that for longer because it'll be more updated. Um, as far as tutorials, there's that could be an entire episode, right, if we're talking about online tutorials on how to do things. Um, do you have any kind of one place or, or whatever that you really like? to? Like, if you're going to learn a new thing, is there a place that you go first to say, let me see if these people have it because I love that. I love their you know, the way they do things. And I'm going to see if they've covered this thing that I want to learn. I can't say that there is one place. I think uh, in the same way that front end technology is more fragmented than the iOS system, which is very centralized, you know, Apple has their way doing things and people listen to Apple. Um, there are a bunch of different spins on front end and a bunch of different people coming out with a, a bunch of different things. And so the first um, good resource I come across Maybe it's a OS Boss thing, or maybe it's on the React site, or uh, going through documentation slash examples for for somebody else. But yeah, it's, it's all over the place for the stuff I want to get into. So you you probably would start if you're going to do like uh, I need a tutorial on X. You probably would just Google it. I'm guessing maybe maybe check a couple of those places just to see if they happen to have anything. But otherwise. You're just basically looking on the web for a resource because it's so all over the place. Yes. In fact, I don't even, although I do have resources that I've used before and liked, I, I will not go to them first. If they turn up in Google results towards the top, I'll think, oh, a familiar name. I'll try this link instead of one that's maybe ranked just above them. But uh, yeah, it's invariably search engine and see what the world um, thinks is good right now. I, I guess you... You have the luxury, uh, in a sense, of, <laughs> yeah. of going to a place. I mean, if it's so, if it's a if it's a topic that's big enough that can't be covered in like a Stack Overflow answer, right? Right. Then, and I need more of like a tutorial rather than just an answer. Then, yes, I I probably would go to Ray's site um, because, like I said, I mean, they have it's close to like two thousand tutorials at this point. So they, if if I need to learn it, they probably have already done a tutorial on it. <laughs> um, now, out of that two thousand, how how many do you think are uh, current and still viable oh uh i would say a decent i would say a majority at, at least because they are actually really good i mean they have over a hundred people on staff i think i no i think i think it's like only on the ios tutorials <laughs> like, wow i don't i don't know the number exactly but it's it's pretty crazy how many people are on staff now over there um despite the fact that it's just one guy's name it's a whole company now that has it's a whole big thing he started out by being just having his own site and having a couple of tutorials that he wrote himself but it's it since has grown um but uh yeah they do a really good job and the other thing that i i love about them and i wish more people would do this they write at the very top of the <laughs> tutorial 
when they last touched it right yes. so and they also try and put in there as well what version of swift and mm. what version of ios this particular tutorial is designed for oh, the promise which land. is amazing like that's that's what so when you're looking for resources people out there try and find places where they give you that information because it's invaluable because nothing is worse than you going through it and you get about a third of the way through and you go to do something with the code and then your editor is telling you, oh, this, this is garbage. This code doesn't work. What are you talking about? Like, and you're like, I, did I type it wrong or did, did I read it wrong or, or did, is, it, is it actually broken for real? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I, you know. I'm learning here, so I don't know what is the right answer. And there's nothing worse than kind of being, having this confusion around, is it me or is it the code? And if it's the code and you don't know it, that's just terrible because you're going to just spin your wheels trying to fix it. When actually what it really is, is that this code is just too old and it doesn't work anymore. Um, so yeah, if you can find a resource that has that information, it's, it's golden. I would lose days at a time long time ago when it, it didn't occur to me that there was a possibility that the code could be wrong. And I would, I would copy and paste directly from the website into my computer and try to run it and it wouldn't work. And I'd think the world has ended. Nothing, right. nothing or, works anymore. To, to call back to our imposter syndrome episode, right? Like you think, well, I, this is not for me. This right? is Clearly, right. I can't even copy and paste. Right, right. I, I can't be a programmer if I can't even copy and paste and hit one button. Back and, to the and coal mines. Gonna, there is no yeah, hope for ex me here. Exactly. Yeah. So that it can be very demoralizing to, to be in that situation and have your, uh, your stuff not work for like no obvious reason when really what it is is just you're, you're, you're looking at a resource that's too old. So... Do what you can. Do your best to try and determine when this was written um, and and what it was written for, so that you can uh, make that informed decision about whether it's going to work for you. Yeah, ideally, it's going to be right at the top of the page, the way uh, Ray Wonderlick does. Otherwise, maybe down at the bottom of the article, there might be a, a date tapped on, or maybe if there's a comment section, sometimes those will will give you clues that the the oldest comment on an article is from 2017, so that'll give you a benchmark. Right. Or even a comment that says, hey, I tried to run your code. It doesn't work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Maybe yeah, you can use all those friend out there somewhere. Right. So you can use those even if you don't have an actual date, you can use those clues to try and help narrow it down. And I've done that. I've literally like mm, this is not obvious. And I scroll to the very bottom to see if there's any comments. And it's like, oh, this comment is from two years ago. OK, well, then never mind. I'm, I'm going to find something else. Um, so it's a combination of looking at, you know, looking at Ray, if it's a larger thing that I need to learn um, uh, or. Um, or just basically Googling. That's essentially the same thing that you do uh, and just kind of looking looking at the documentation. I, I want to make sure, I want to stress that it's important to not ignore the official documentation for whatever it is you're trying to learn, whether it's React or iOS or or Angular or, or any of Ruby, right? Any of these things. If there's, if there's official documentation for the thing you're trying to learn, go look at that. Um, if you want to look at, you want to build an Android app, and, you know, I think it's developer.android.google.com or something like that. I don't remember the exact, the exact URL, but uh, there is an official site that Google maintains, and they have tons and tons and tons of documentation on how to build Android apps. Apple does the same thing. Um, you know, React, all these different things have places you can go to kind of get the data right from the horse's mouth. Um, and that's something, while it is, it can be very intimidating for especially a junior to do that because oftentimes that stuff is not written... <laughs> With a junior in mind, um, it can be kind of hard to parse. Don't ignore it. Do you know? Do kind of make that part of your learning workflow, even if you're just kind of going there and looking at it. And going, I, I get some of this, but some of this stuff is over my head. 
it's good to get used to going to that kind of stuff. Even if you maybe have that one up in one window and the tutorial up in, the, in another window, um, it, it's good to prov- have that reference uh, and be able to to look at that. Because sometimes you're going to need to do something that isn't in the tutorial, right? That you're, you're like, I think I can do this, but it, it's not actually spelled out for me in the tutorial. It's probably in the documentation. So if you kind of have both up at the same time, uh, you can go, you know, jump in and, and look for that thing. And I feel terrible saying this, but the official documentation for projects can sometimes be out of date too. Uh, that's I think that's probably rarer than just a blog that somebody wrote in their spare time. If there's a project, a big established project, um, maybe even with people who work on that as part of their job duties, that's more likely to be uh, to be up to date. But it's not a hundred percent. So just be aware. I mean, trust but verify yes. with that. Kind yes, of thing. and oftentimes with with, with uh, official uh, documentation, there will be some kind of indication somewhere what version uh, of the API that you're talking about it, it this this documentation covers. So you can just kind of glance at that and say, oh well, this this API version number is one and a half versions old compared to what I'm using. You can kind of then temper your understanding of that documentation and say eh, this some of this may some of this may not work now because it's possible that some of it's been replaced with functionality that is that is overriding it and this state this information is now old so it's a way for you to uh temper your expectations i guess and 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 say i can still read this and it still might provide value but it may not be as valuable because it's it's out of date so that's also yeah that's really good advice don't don't just assume that because apple wrote it or because you know, the React team wrote it or whatever, that it's necessarily the freshest and latest and greatest. It might be out of date. Something you can do to uh, to confirm your suspicions, possibly, and to help out other people who might end up in the same situation that you're in, is that when you come across that documentation, first off, for a lot of things, maybe outside of the official Apple stuff, but for a lot of uh, of other kinds of technologies, the official documentation is going to be on some kind of public repository of the code, probably GitHub or something like it. And if you find something that you think this is talking about version four and I just downloaded version six, something has changed. That's the kind of thing where you can uh, open an issue in the project and let the maintainers know something is a little awry here, I think. Am I right about that? Is this something that needs to be fixed? And then Maybe they'll explain to you that you had misread something and then you get it figured out that way. Or you can be told that, oh, yeah, we messed that up. We need to fix it. Thank you for your help. And that's something as a little sort of side pro tip in that as well. um, If you're trying to build your reputation as a developer, another thing that you can do is that if you do find actual mistakes in the documentation... It may not even be a technical mistake. It might actually just be a grammatical or spelling mistake. You can... Sometimes, depending on how it's presented, if you can get a hold of that that actual text, like if it's in a repo, you could fork uh, the repo. You could make the change to fix that grammatical mistake, and then issue a pull request back to the original documentation and say, "Hey, I found this little this little mistake. I fixed it for you. Here you go." And then the, maintain- the maintainers can decide what to do about that. Um, and if you do that on a place like GitHub in a public way. You are, you know, in a small way, you are contributing to this this potentially open source thing, um, and you are helping make it better. And that's part of your history, uh, your public 
commit history on GitHub, and it helps build a little bit of a reputation of being someone who's helpful. And um, so even if you feel like, well, people often will, will probably tell you when you go out to meetups and stuff is one way to kind of build your, your rep as a developer if you're not working yet is to contribute to open source. And that might sound to you like, oh, I... You know, I I can't change code that will be used by millions of people. That's, that's right. terrifying, Let me right? Put everything on hold and go get my PhD in computer science, and then I can do yeah. that kind of thing. Exactly, it just feels insane, right? Um, but the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that one of the things that would count as contributing towards open source is to change the documentation, is to potentially fix a spelling error. It doesn't matter, right? It's you're helping make this better because if you can make this clearer for people, it lets people understand this technology better and you are legitimately helping others to use, to consume the information and to use this, use this technology. Um, so don't, don't discount that as a, as a valid contribution. Um, that's another way that you can, you know, it's a little off topic for what we're trying to do today, but when you, when you brought that up, I was like, Oh, that's a, that's great, and, and, and a way to, to, to extend that a little further is to, is to actually, if you can, right? Like, I, I can't do that to Apple's documentation because it's just a website with read-only text, right? I, I have no way to, to change it. I could issue what they call a radar, which is their ticket system, to say, hey, I found this b- bug in your documentation, and then who knows if they would ever, <laughs> if they would ever look at it. But they're in a very large company, and they're very busy. But um, but if it's an if it's a, a GitHub thing, if it's just a readme on GitHub or something, that's something you can actually you can affect directly. Um, so if you see it, change it. Yeah, yeah, and no fix is too small, right? I heard a, a great anecdote the other day of uh, the early days of the space program when. Um, Kennedy was still around and he went to visit the site in Florida and he was you know, touring around and came across a janitor and asked him, what do you do here? And the guy said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Yeah, <laughs> because he was he was getting debris and stuff out of the way so that scientists could concentrate more fully on achieving escape velocity. And he, you know, he wasn't the guy in charge. But he was contributing to that effort in the same way that fixing little nitpicky kind of uh, grammatical and spelling problems, you're going to make it more comprehensible for other people who, who come across the material and you're chipping in. So if that's what you can do, do that. Just because you didn't contribute a thousand lines of corrected code does not mean that you are that you are not contributing to that. And in fact, I would argue that the smaller changes are actually much less likely to be made because the maintainers of that thing are so busy with so many things and they don't have time to fix these smaller things. So actually, you're making an even you're making kind of an outsized contribution to it because you are changing something that would likely not get changed otherwise. Um, and, and you're making it better. So yeah, make the change and, and feel happy that you've done so, that you've contributed in, in a meaningful way. All right, so let's, <laughs> that was a good little tangent, but let's, let's move back to the next category, um, podcasts. You might not think that podcasts are a great way to learn programming, um, but uh, it can, they can be helpful directly and they can also, I think even more importantly, be very helpful indirectly. I agree. Um, I would I would uh, nominate as the very first thing this podcast <laughs> as a little bit of self promotion, MVC. Um, while we are not a podcast that teaches you very specific skills about JavaScript or iOS or whatever, we Mainly are kind because of more... Ben doesn't know anything about JavaScript, and I know even less about iOS. <laughs> so yeah, there's that problem. But also, um, you know, we're more focused on kind of the meta topics around 
being a developer and, and getting into tech and understanding the landscape and giving you more generalized advice. Um, there are legitimately podcasts out there that get very that deep dive and get very technical. Um, do you have any favorites of, of yours that you'd use for, for either front end or Ruby or any of the sure. other? Yeah. Um, probably my favorite is syntax, which is uh West boss and Scott Talinsky, who are two guys who are making a career out of providing tutorials of front end material. And they decided at some point to hook up and, uh, they put out, I think an episode or so a week. And it's, um, generally more beginner stuff, but they sprinkle in a, a look at the current landscape. And so I get informed of new developments that way. Um, there's a, a podcast network, DevChat, uh, devchat.tv, I think, that has JavaScript and Ruby and React specific and other JavaScript kind of subgenres that I'm not as interested in. Um, and those are really good for um, for current topics, you know what is hot right now what are new packages that people are working on and and new trends and also for um, for ruby in particular I like to kind of go back in the archives and and find out what people were talking about uh, a little while ago that i might have missed um let's see for tech those are the first handful that come to mind do you have uh, favorites in the arena yeah so uh for ios i don't listen to a ton of like of specifically ios you know, podcasts that are about code necessarily, um, because I do consume a lot of uh, of that kind of information uh, visually through blogs and things like that. So I don't need, I, I for the most part know what's going on, but I do really like um, Under the Radar. It's um, uh, David Smith and Marco Arment. Um, they're both uh, independent iOS developers um, and they, it's a half hour show. It's always 30 minutes or less. And they talk about a specific technical topic. So it isn't always code. Sometimes it's like, how I go about, you know, managing a, a new release in the app store, right? There's still technical things around, you know, getting it submitted and making sure that your timing is right and, and all that kind of stuff. That's not code, but it is still technical. Um, and, you know, how do I go about, uh, you know, coming up with a brand new app idea? And, and maybe when I do get into a brand new app idea, how do I, what do I do first to kind of prototype stuff like that? So, uh, and then there's also things where they literally, dive deep into I needed to make this change to the audio engine for my podcasting app and like I you know they dive deep into that kind of thing so um, it kind of runs the gamut of things that are that are technical but not code all the way to a half hour discussion about actual code Um, so I find that to be really useful Um, and it's nice to get it from kind of an indie perspective rather than being someone who's just an employee at a large organization they are responsible for everything right there as an as an indie they they have to do the marketing they have to do the business development they have to do the financial stuff they have to do the technical implementation of their of their code um so it's kind of cool to hear that holistic um those deep dives that they cover all those different things uh and then another one that's good that isn't code necessarily but um atp accidental tech podcast um also co-hosted by marco arment um because he runs he builds a, a podcast out called overcast that's his that's his primary product um, while that, that show is a technology news podcast, um, they frequently end up in these weird tangents where he's talking about some new thing he's been working on, or one of them, they're all developers. So one of them will have done something recently with code and they will maybe do it like in the after show or something, but they'll like dive way deep into some technical topic about, about code, even though 
the show isn't really about that in general. They frequently kind of tangent into like, yeah, I was working on this thing, and they end up spending 20 minutes talking about, you know, this implementation. So that's that's pretty fun to, to listen to as well. Um, yeah, so those are probably my two that I you, that I listen to regularly that that do regularly dive into those technical uh, iOS topics. There's a whole bunch of other iOS uh, technical podcasts that I don't listen to, just primarily because, like I said, I, I consume that stuff in a different way. Um, but but there are lots of of great ones out there. So it would, use your podcast app of choice to just search around, and you'll you'll find all kinds of uh, of options. I actually could mention uh, a couple others kind of thing. I I consume an awful lot of podcast material because part of my morning routine is to walk to the gym and back. It's about a mile each way, which gives me around forty minutes uh, to listen to stuff, even outside of uh, time in the gym warming up and and so on. So. Um, Besides the one I've mentioned, um, Full Stack Radio, I enjoy. That's uh, really more fun and focused, despite the name. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just to throw people off the trail. That's <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. And then, shh, don't tell anybody. We're only going to talk about Vue. Um, it's not actually Vue specific, but it's also great uh, to to get in in the right frame of mind for the gym because of the host turns out to be just a beast of a person. He was a, a power lifter before he became a developer and like, wow, lift 300 pounds directly over his head and stuff. <laughs> um, uh, what else? Uh, shop talk hosted by Chris Coyier, who's the guy behind CSS tricks and code pen and, and a few sites like that. Um, that's a, a great kind of, state of the industry kind of thing and he's a, an engaging host he and dave i forget the guy's last name dave something um it'll all be in the show notes don't worry it'll all be in the show notes those two and then art of product is the other one i want to mention that's um ben orenstein who is a longtime ruby uh, rubyist um, uh, developer at thoughtbot and fixture on the lecture circuit you know in in um, conference talks and uh Again, I can't remember the co-host name, but uh, a guy who had co-founded Drip, the email um, email management, I guess, system. Yeah. And they're both off uh, working on their own things now and trying to get uh, startups going. And so they just check in with each other and talk about how it's going and business development and what should my pricing look like and kind of code adjacent stuff like that, which is, I find, uh, enthralling. Uh, all right, so like we said, we could probably list stand here and list a whole bunch. Of oh yeah, them for, we, for the we rest could of the do episode. an awful lot of them. Um, but uh, basically, I think the 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 general advice would be just to you know if you if you like podcasts as a delivery mechanism, um, there are plenty of options that you can choose from uh, depending on what you're trying to learn and and just find something that you like and and go with that. And also, I think we had said earlier that the uh, the kind of information you can get out of podcasts is different than what you get out of other stuff, like. So very detailed information of the kind that is very assimilable when it's read would just be a nightmare to listen to. You know, if you imagine someone dictating what you should type out, open curly brace. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awful. But on the other hand, there's there's probably um, things that you can sort of visualize in your mind's eye when you're listening to something that you that is harder to do when you're reading it. Um, particularly if it's highly technical and you're trying to follow it along. Uh, I find podcasts to be best 
for like general knowledge assimilation rather than than necessarily the nitty gritty like you said type this line of code right i'd rather read that but if we're talking about kind of you know like for example on under the radar they're talking about uh tips and tricks for getting your first app released right that's really useful information for me to have as an ios developer um and i may not even want to read that because it's you know it'd be it just would it just it wouldn't be as interesting and as engaging as it would be if i was hearing two people who do it kind of banter back and forth about yeah this is this is what i do and this is you know that kind of discussion is i think actually better consumed as an audio form of people talking um rather than than reading it so there is value i think in each different medium and and like i was saying before you want to find ones that work for you but don't don't necessarily think well generally speaking i don't like hearing things i don't learn by hearing things so i'm just going to discount all forms of of hearing based learning <laughs> yeah that's right? not a good way of looking at it no, you want to try them and, you know, maybe they won't, they won't work for you, but, but give them a try. And like I said, with podcasts particularly, there might be some kinds of information that the best way to receive it is through a podcast. Um, and, and you could be missing out if you, uh, if you don't mm -hmm. try it. And I think that's a great point about the, the banter, because what you get out of that are two different viewpoints, which you're almost never going to get in, in written material, whether it is a book or a blog, you're, that's going to be one person saying, here's what I think. And maybe that person is wrong in, in some aspect or presents material in a way that doesn't quite hit you right. But if you have two or three or four people all approaching the same thing and saying, well, my perspective is from over here a little bit, you're more likely to, to get something that really uh, resonates with you. Yeah, I mean, on this show, we frequently either either have different perspectives on things or we yes. straight up disagree about something. And, yeah, and we Ben both can't be right us. all the time. So. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so we, we present both things and, and we kind of let the viewer or the listener in this case, uh, you know, just take it all in and, and see what works for them. So, yeah, there, there's definitely lots of uh, good there's lots of good perspective to, to gain from from that kind of thing. All right. Well, we've been uh, talking for a while. We've got through a good portion of our list, but we want to be respectful of our listeners time. So uh, what do you say we wrap it up for now, but uh, let everybody know where they can find out more about the show if they'd like to catch up on older episodes. Sure. Everything you know about, know about the, the podcast is available on our website at NBC.FM, where you can find an archive of our shows and listen right on the page. You can access our show notes and everything we've talked about today. And you can also find out how to subscribe. We're available on iTunes and pretty much any place you can find a podcast. If you could also, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, or you can tweet at us with feedback at MVC Podcast. 